Welcome to What Leaders Need Now. My special guest today is my longtime colleague, Janet Barnard. Let me read her bio. Janet Barnard is an authentic C-suite executive with an award-winning history of finance, HR, and business operations experience across multiple divisions of Cox Enterprises, including as a regional leader for Cox Communications and in the C-suite for Cox Automotive. Known for her ability to scale and grow both, both early stage and mature businesses, she has helmed up to $3.5 billion in revenue as the first female C-suite leader of Mannheim, the largest wholesale auto auction firm in the world. This diversity, equity, and inclusion thought leader has been featured on cbtnews.com, Automotive News Daily Drive podcast, auto remarketing, globalatlanta.com, and washingtonpost.com and has been a frequent speaker at events such as the Automotive News World Congress. Janet currently serves as an executive coach for C-suite and C-1 leaders as part of the Exco Group Network, and is a principal advisor for Lotus Blue Consulting, focusing on organizational and digital transformation for large organizations. She is an NACD certified director and serves on the advisory board for Peakspan Capital, a venture capital firm. She volunteers her time as an advisory board member for University of Nebraska College of Business, her alma mater. Janet splits her time between Atlanta, Georgia and Longboat Key, Florida with her husband, Brian. She travels frequently to enjoy her two daughters' families in the Midwest, as well as spending time exploring new cultures around the world. Janet, thank you for joining us. So good to be with you again, Andrea. What about your stellar career journey most amazes you? <laughs> you know, I was, um, I feel like so many people have a story like this. I was a, a daughter, youngest of five, of two parents who were eighth grade educated farmers and my grandparents were German immigrants. Um, and so we grew up in a tiny little farm community in Southeast Nebraska. And so um, I think just the fact that I even reached the mid-level point of my career doing what I did, much less all of the opportunities that came in the latter half and what I do now, it, it, I'm still amazed by it um, because it wasn't ever something that my parents encouraged me to do they they weren't about um they weren't even necessarily about getting a an advanced education or or leaving the area we grew up in uh, somehow they just taught us to be pretty independent people and we all kind of in my siblings and I just kind of went our own way and did what we did and um they somehow instilled I guess a sense of confidence and independence that in, enabled me to not be afraid of taking some of the risks that that I that felt very risky at the time, uh, that paid off in a really satisfying way. That's why I invited you to come here today to talk about courage. <laughs> uh, you know, as I think about you, and I think about the word courage, uh, the two go hand in hand for so, so very many reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and that what the story you just told uh, embodies that. 
when I wrote my book, What Leaders Need Now, I described two kinds of courage, personal courage and your life, your career, the story you, you told just now and all of the stories along the way embody personal courage. As you became an executive, you also embodied the second kind of courage that I described, and that is the courage to transform organizations. And that's what I'd like to talk about today with you. That kind of courage is reserved for leaders that have the positional authority to make unpopular decisions, mm -hmm. um, to do the right thing when the right thing isn't always the popular thing. The other day when we were talking about various institutions taking a stand over the Israel-Hamas war, you reminded me of the letter you wrote to employees after the George Floyd killing. Yeah, hard to believe that's already been, what, three years ago now. Um, but, you know, the the pain and suffering of people like him and others around the world for various reasons continues. It just, uh, I don't know if it's just perspective of of age and where I am in my life, but it seems like there's just more and more hatred out there. And it's, um, you know, tough, tough for business leaders, any leader, any human being to combat that. Uh, but when the George Floyd killing happened and, you know, while of course some of these similar incidences had been happening for, for many years, um, there was something about that one that certainly did set the the nation, I think, off on a, a really um, raw edge of feeling and emotion, um, probably because of today's technology and the viral videos that we all saw. And um, it just had an outsized impact on me personally as a leader and a human being. And I could see the pain and suffering of people in our organization. And so very quickly, it became clear to me that in some way, you know, we as members of leadership needed to acknowledge, just simply acknowledge that people were going through a tough time. And so, um, you know, in a large corporation, these kinds of communications are difficult to put together and difficult to run through the process and so forth. And, and I will admittedly say that because I felt so compelled to speak to people. And at the time I was the chief people officer for Cox Automotive. Um, I just really felt like we needed to move quickly on this and say something. Um, so we, we got the letter out to employees and um, you can still see it on my LinkedIn posts from a few years ago, if you're interested in looking at it. And um, probably one of the risks around this was I used a personal story in this letter. And I think, you know, there is always some level of risk as a leader and particularly in, in Cox in the company that I was a part of for so long and have loved and still do, you know, it never, it never was about us. I mean, we were taught that that was part of the culture. It's not about you. It's bigger than you. And so when you include a personal story, there's always a risk there because it can feel then like it's about me. Um, but in this case, sometimes, you know, you get a gut feeling when you just know what the right thing is to do that will hit the mark with people. And so I included a story um, about 
the current events, but also personally um, shared with people that my son-in-law is black and I have two multiracial grandchildren, um, my daughter's family. And I made the point in the letter in kind of the introductory paragraph that something like this could just as well happen to him as it could any of these other folks that have had these instances. And um, I've learned so much having a multiracial family about how it really feels and the things we have witnessed that are nothing like, <laughs> nothing like the things you see that make the news, but I've witnessed these microaggressions very close up and personal and I know how hurtful they can be. And I felt that in reaching out to our employees, including that story would at least help those who are feeling the most pain know that I did have at least some level of understanding about how they felt. I can't claim to fully grasp it, but um, so two pieces of that whole situation, I think were, you know, um, were aspects that exhibited the courage. And one is getting it out quickly. And two was including a personal story and making the connection as a person, which, as I said, can sometimes backfire because, you know, that isn't my culture from growing up. I grew up in a quite the opposite kind of culture from where his family grew up. But um, it really did have an impact on people because I also heard I heard from hundreds of people, literally, that either posted online or reached out to me personally, uh, and they shared their personal stories. Um, so it was a true connection in a way that I'm not sure I could have done any other way. Um, now, it wasn't without risk. There were people who also weren't happy about it. There were people who would post and say, well, some of the reading materials I included as a reference, they didn't appreciate. You know, there's a lot of controversy over um, the writings of racism and so forth, and it's become quite political. So that, too, was a bit of a risk. But I took, you know, recommendations from well-trusted sources in terms of where to steer people to learn more about how to stop some of the hatred and violence. So the the benefits certainly far outweighed the downside. But I don't want to uh, give any indication that when you do something like this, there isn't a downside because there always is. Oh, Janet, there's so much that you've said here. Mm -hmm. There's so much you've said. So. Um... I want to first go back to something you said, at a minimum, you have to acknowledge that something happened. And that is the fundamental of listening. Mm -hmm. And and that's what your, your it sounds like your, your motivation was to listen to what was on people's minds. Mm -hmm. And this was an act that you did as an executive to listen to what was going on. And one of the things that we've been working with in my, my world is something we call generous listening. And generous listening is when we simply acknowledge where someone is at. And it's one of the hardest ways to listen that there is. And it's beyond empathy because empathy 
you know, empathy requires, well, how are you feeling? And we're trying to understand how you're feeling. And generous listening is simply being with someone where they're at in the moment. And that's what you were aiming to do. That was the aim, right? Because again, there are two points of view on almost everything that happens in our lives and in our world, right? And you don't want to risk alienating certain people who have a different understanding of a situation or a different point of view and, and leave them out either. Yes. Um, so acknowledgement is the best word I can think of to describe what as an executive we need to do, which to your point requires this really generous listening, listening with an intent to learn and understand even if at the end of the conversation or the end of the communication, you don't agree, yes. right? Because yes. um, on again, on many of these issues, we, you know, people don't agree. They don't have the same perspective on how something happened or why something happened. And um, so that's, I think that's where CEOs and C-suite leaders really can sometimes get stuck because there it's risky to pick sides if you will right and that's not what this is about right courage is and compassion and and the generous listening isn't about picking a side it is not and then then allow for this other piece which is you told a personal story there is empathy for people who are going through something they do have a personal situation that you also can relate to. I can't relate to your personal situation. Mm -hmm. I don't have a biracial family where someone in my family is at risk as George Floyd was, mm -hmm. you can. And in your letter, you write about a situation where your son-in-law was in that kind of situation and at risk. So you've experienced that, I haven't. So you have true empathy for someone who has that situation where you've truly experienced that. So mm -hmm. you took the risk of, of talking about that as well. And that's the taboo that you're talking about. We don't always take that risk or go across that line. And I find it so fascinating just this morning. I didn't know this would be relevant to our conversation, but apparently you know, pre during the pandemic, CEOs got this extra dose of empathy, according to all the surveys. And then it plummeted in 2023, according to the surveys. Mm. And today, Corn Ferry, um, I saw the new survey, talent survey, uh, says that in uh, 2024, CEO empathy is going to be a real, uh, it's one of the top talent acquisition needs uh, CEO empathy is going to be uh, significant as one of the top talent acquisition needs in order to build culture. Um, so, you know, we're, we're talking about empathy. We're really talking about CEO empathy and, and that in its role in culture. And, and it used to be a taboo. We didn't talk right. about feelings at work. That's right. That's right. That's certainly the time I grew up in, in my early years. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really talk about my kids a lot. I didn't talk about my husband a lot or what was going on or, you know, I lost parents and grandparents over the years. 
Um, certainly I let people know when I needed to be gone for some of those things, but it just wasn't something that you, that you focused on in the workplace until not that long ago. Um, I mean, this is really a fairly new kind of this whole bringing your whole self to work is a fairly new thing that, that honestly, I credit some of the Gen Z and millennials with bringing to the workplace. Uh, somehow they naturally not only feel more comfortable doing that, they they demand the ability to do that. And, and that's very foreign to, you know, those of us who've been in the workplace for a number of decades. Um, I would say it's a, it's a nice move. It's a good, it's a good change, but it does make our jobs as C-suite leaders more complicated. There's, there's no question about that. I do think it complicates the, the way we communicate, what we comment on, what we do, how we comment on it. So say more about that. What are the what are the complications or what are the guardrails, if you will, that that C-suite leaders need to take into account? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I I really had a hard time wrapping my head around, even even in my you know most recent years of working as I was more and more senior, is the fishbowl that you live in when you're a, a senior leader. And how every word and every action is watched and sometimes taken out of context for good or or maybe not so good, depends on the situation. But um, I would often be amazed in responses to communications or employees who would walk in my office or send me an email about how something touched them, um, the tiniest little thing, or or how something they saw or heard didn't sit well with them. And, and it sticks with people. Um, I just heard from one of my coworkers, former coworkers recently, who was in a meeting, was in an employee resource, resource group meeting, and someone in that meeting who I knew, but I mean, didn't know really well, uh, someone junior to me, had told the story of how he came into my office one day and I turned my phone off while we were having our meeting. And he told he told that story about how that had an impact on him. I mean, there's such a tiny little thing. And sometimes we do these things very consciously, sometimes unconsciously, but I think that's the thing to keep in mind. And so how to use that fishbowl for progressing the company forward for bringing people with you. Um, and I know, you know, our topic is courage, but if you really want change, transformational change to happen, which is what every company seems to be going through these days, you have to create followership. I don't know how to create followership without courage, yes, but compassion and humility with it because that's the connection to the people. Right? That's that's what helps people understand that you're being your authentic self and you're in it with them and you're as passionate about this as they are. Otherwise, it's not that inspiring to follow. That's right. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So as you look back in on your career, was there ever a time when you 
wished you had taken a courageous or bold move and you retreated? Um, so there was one story I'll share, and I'm not saying I regret it, but it was one of those times when I was too scared to take the leap and didn't. And it all worked out fine, but it makes me wonder how how different life would have been. So there was a time when um, our company sold some properties, pretty, pretty large properties. And my team I was leading at the time and I were, were the, the lead team for the sale. And um, our employees knew that it was probably pretty inevitable who the buyer was going to be and they weren't happy about it. And um, in the end, that was indeed the buyer. I think it all worked out fine. Uh, but there was a time during this whole process, and I was pretty young still at the time. I also needed to work. <laughs> and so um, there was a time when I thought I should take this over. Like I should start a company and take these people and find a way to buy this and run it um, because it was a property that was full of small and medium-sized cities and towns that these are the places that I knew that, you know, the kinds of places I grew up in. And um, I felt like, you know, maybe, maybe my team and I can give them the kind of experience that they really want to have, that they feared they wouldn't have under this new leadership. Um, I didn't do it. I, I honestly didn't, at the time, I didn't know how to begin. I certainly could have gone to some of my trusted advisors and learned it and taken the risk. Um, and and I went on to have a great career at Cox from there on. And so I have no regrets on that front. But there's always been a piece of me that says, you know, could I have been, should I have been an entrepreneur, right? And so because of that experience, and I know how scary it felt to think about going off on my own, if you will, I have such admiration for people who've done it, for you, for others who've gone off on their own and created successful companies, um, because that there have to be just really terrifying moments, especially at the beginning. So, um, you know, we all have these moments of fear and trepidation that keeps us from doing certain things. That was a time when I felt it, and I, I, you know, I didn't do what I was thinking about doing. I didn't even articulate it to many people because I was afraid of even thinking it. It was kind of a bizarre, bizarre moment for me. But um, again, I'm also a believer in things happening for a reason. So no, no complaints about how things worked out, but it was an interesting moment in my career. <laughs> you know, courage is not throwing all caution to the wind and just jumping and yeah. and hoping for the best um you made you made a choice and and that other choice you made worked out beautifully for you and and you know now you are doing you mentioned me you are doing you are out on your own it's it's mm -hmm. funny this this thing that we call retirement you know you you have when you leave an organization qualified for retirement you retire and some people retire yeah. And some people go on to do other things. And that's what you're doing now. Um, you know, you have an LLC, you you are doing other things. And and you've been away from this organization um, that you've spent so many years um, dedicated to. And 
and now you work, you're out working with other companies. So in some ways you are that entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what insights is that giving you um, in terms of your own, I don't know, your own courage, but also how executives, how legacy practices in organizations are holding back um, courageous action, um, forward movement, culture, transformation. What insights has this given you in this time? It's not been a long time, but it's been enough time to give you some perspective um, on forward movement. Yeah, I've probably worked in, I don't know, six or eight different industries since since I um, retired from Cox. And um, I, lo- I love that learning about these different businesses, how they work, how they operate, the cultures inside of them. Um, first of all, they are vastly different. Um, I will say that. Secondly, um, no matter how different they are, they all seem to be solving, trying to solve many of the same problems, which I find interesting. You know, we think we're so different from the next company and we're and we're not, uh, but culturally we can be. So I think there's a few things that have kind of been ahas for me. One is, um, one is, you know, in exercising courage, you do have to pick your moments. And I find myself now um, talking to uh, some of my clients about they, you know, they want to go fast. They want to make this thing happen. And then um, I find myself saying, you know, sometimes you have to, you know, the old slow down to go fast kind of thing. And I, sometimes I'm like, I can't believe I'm saying this because I was the one that wanted action, right? <laughs> Am um, I talking to Janet Barnard right now? <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, picking your moments is really important in terms of making a big move because something that is perfectly, the perfectly right idea can be completely the wrong time. And, um, and then it can fail or it can backfire, which you don't want. Um, the second thing that is interesting to me, and I've felt this, and 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 um, I've always wished I could do something about this. I don't know what a better answer is, but titles scare people. Titles hold people back, and um, the weight of the big title can so often keep people from speaking truth to power. Right, keep people from speaking up when something needs to be, needs to be um, addressed. And um, that just makes me sad. Uh, It's, it's, uh, I think there's so much more that could be done if people in the right moment, in the right way, had the courage to say, you know what, I think maybe we're heading in the wrong direction, or I agree with what we're trying to accomplish, but there's a better way to do it. And I saw so many people holding back over my career. And I see it now with some of my clients where I have to encourage them to, um, to pick the right moment. We work on the style in which they approach it, but to have the courage to speak up even when there are multiple people in the room with titles much bigger than theirs. I wish there were a better way to do this. Um, I just, I haven't seen one. Um, 
because no matter how well-meaning the CEO can be or how open they may be to input, people assume that you're not. So, the, and then the third thing is, you know, in spite of all that, people do follow your example. So if you're authentic, if you take the time to be an active and generous listener, if you stop and say good morning in the hallway, you know, if you do those little things that show people that you're human, then the titles can, you know, the impact of the big title can be minimized and people will start to trust and speak up. Uh, one of my favorite notes when I retired from Cox that I got from someone, again, someone who I really didn't know that well, but knew of, and they said, I'm really sad to see you leave because as long as you were there, I just knew things were going to be okay. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that is, that's just a, a, an awesome perspective and uh, such an awesome feeling as a leader when I had to make as many unpopular decisions as any other leader did. You know, the news I'd have to share sometimes was not good news. That's and trust. You that's right. Trust. That's yes. right. So, you know, being human and creating the trust is really the key. Well, those three things, that's, that's, um, those are the lessons to leave us with. Those are the lessons to leave leaders with. And, and this idea of this, you know, being sad of how people are afraid of the titles, you gave us the solution to be the role model. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the people who are not that and use those titles that, that are the, the challenge, right? The, mm-hmm. the, those whose egos, and it's why you have to have the, the trio, the compassion, courage, and humility. And humility is important because the ego, the, the ego-laden title that doesn't want to be the role model, that doesn't want to listen and be empathetic, it, that's the intimidating leader that, that doesn't want to hear the input. Right. And we've seen some really astounding examples recently of leaders who who had the ego and the narcissistic compulsive compulsive behavior and so forth that that have imploded. Right. So, I mean, that may work for some period of time. It doesn't work over a period of time. I think that's been proven time and time again. Yeah. Sadly, they're out there, and we all run into them in our in our day to day. But if we can only stand up to that, that's what that's what is required. Courage, courage is required to stand up to that and to know that that doesn't prevail. Right, right, and and you know, so much research that we've all read and seen or been a part of that, you know, the younger generations that are now in the workplace won't they won't put up with it. I mean, they, they vote with their feet, as they say. So it's not even acceptable anymore to the people that are, that we're serving as leaders. Um, You know, you and I probably had to live with that in our early days, or we felt like we had to, when that happened, it didn't feel like there was a choice. Uh, We probably did have a choice and didn't have the wherewithal or the, the, the role models maybe to follow 
right. and uh, and and you know protest against that by leaving or changing something in the workplace for the better. But I I give you know the people that are coming up behind us a lot of credit for for changing the the expectations that they have um, in a workplace environment that is about their whole lives and not just getting the work done it's as it should be. Beautiful. Do you have any other parting advice for the leaders who are listening or watching us today? You can do more than you think you can. I, I just believe that. And um, you, you have to look, look at those role models, look to people you respect and, and just emulate them. And at the end of the day, I was just in a conversation or reading something the other day, we're all making it up as we go. <laughs> Everyone is because so many of the tried and true rules of the road, if you will, in business and in the world don't hold up anymore. And so, you know, if you look at someone you respect and think, oh, I could never do that, just change that self-talk to if they can do it, I can do it. And, and that got me through a lot of tough moments over the years, just believing that along the way. Thank you for that advice and all of the advice you've shared with us today. This has been a delight. Thank you, Andrea. So good to be with you again. Wonderful. For those of you watching and listening, Thank you for being part of this conversation. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on YouTube by hitting the subscribe button below or go to whatleadersneednow.com to see our library of past episodes. Thank you for listening and be well.